We're there in verse 25, Judges chapter 6, verse 25. Now, a couple of Sundays ago, I preached a message on Gideon and his calling, how God called Gideon, and why God, why God called Gideon. And now we're going to see what God called Gideon to do. This is the fun part. So away we go, verse 25, and it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place, and take the second bullock, and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt, thou shalt cut down. Now go back up to verse 25. Please go back up to verse 25. And it came to pass the same night. What you'll find out about the Lord is that when He gives you a calling, it's immediate. And He immediately puts you to work. It isn't like I'm giving you a calling and in six years I want you to do this, that, and other. The Lord doesn't give you time like that. The Lord, when He calls you, it's an immediate calling. It says the very same night after He called Gideon, He had Gideon do something. And it was an immediate calling. And uh, I've noticed that in people's lives that it's like all of a sudden they just go crazy one day. They just start go, go crazy for the Lord. And it's like I've seen the calling on people's lives and on my life personally too where you're just sitting around and then one night you, you get a calling from the Lord and it's hard not to just go do what the Lord's called you to do. Sometimes Sometimes I'm at work and I'm riding around in that big crane truck and the Lord gets to talking to me about something. I'll turn to the guy that's with me. I said, man, I'm so tempted just to pull this truck over, get out and just start running. I've got something to go do for the Lord. I mean, I just really, you just get like that, you know. And they look at me like I'm a cuckoo bird. And maybe I am a cuckoo bird. But the point is, is when the God gives you a calling, just like he did Gideon, it was the same night. It was, it's an immediate calling. And what was that calling to do? That the Lord said unto him, take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock, of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. So, Gideon's father was worshiping the wrong god, a false god. He was worshiping Baal, and at his house, he had an altar set up to Baal, and he was sac making sacrifices. What's interesting about this is that uh, there's, nothing, this, there's nothing in your Bible that's just put in there. Just that's, a, that's just uh, sprinkled in there. That's a coincidence. Every word means something. And God has a reason for putting every word in there. And uh, when I see that word second bullock in there, there's a reason for that. Either the first bullock had a spot with it or was unclean for whatever reason. Or maybe, and I start, this is speculation. The Bible don't say this, but maybe God had tried to call Gideon's dad, Joash, to not sacrifice that first bullock to do what he's going to call Gideon to do to destroy that altar. And it was on Joash's heart. And when Joash came to do it, he just couldn't do it. And he sacrificed the bull on that altar. So God says, okay, I'm going to call Gideon. Now Gideon, I've called you. You're a mighty man of valor. Now go take that second bullock and I want you to sacrifice it. And what I'm trying to show you is that even when you mess up God's plan, he's always got a plan B. And when you mess that up, he's got a plan C. And when you mess that up, he's got a plan D. When God does something and wants something done, it's going to get done. And he does that in a free will system. And I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not preaching predestination. But when God's got a will, he has a will and he wants stuff done, he'll say, okay, go do this. And nobody will do it. So he'll go talk to the other person. Hey, I want you to go out and do that. I've thought that a lot about this church out here. There's probably, in my mind, no doubt, God had called somebody maybe a lot of bodies, to come out here and they wouldn't take the call, so he got stuck calling some old trash man to come out here because nobody else was taking the call. And he said, well, I'll use that old trash man right there. And my point to you is if God's calling you and you ignore that call, he'll move on and start calling somebody else. You'll miss the blessing. There's a blessing in doing what God wants you to do in that calling. There's many blessings, and I mentioned some of those last, that last Sunday I was preaching, but that second bullock, maybe it was uh, Joash not doing what he's supposed to do. And it says there of seven years old, in the end of verse 25, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath. Now, this is a destruction. He's about to destroy some property. Now, so many Christians, they get on this abortion kick, and I'm against abortion too. Don't get, don't get me wrong. Don't try to put words in my mouth. I'm against abortion too, but I am for sure not for burning down abortion clinics. I'm not for, let's go chain ourselves in front of abortion clinics. I'm not for that. 
You say, why are you not for that, Brother Keegan? Because that's not what Jesus Christ done. Because I know what, how it works. I'm old enough to know how it works. You can go and you can say, that abortion clinic was shut down, and this abortion, we got this abortion clinic shut down, but they're just going to go somewhere else. The point is, is if, you will, if you will change the people that are going into places like that, change the hearts of these women that are trying to get, or change the men or women that are going into these places like that, when you change them, the abortion clinics will shut down because they won't have any business. Amen. You can get rid of all this. That's why prohibition didn't work. <laughs> you shut it all down and say, well, we shut that down, didn't we, guys? What happened? Well, you know what happened. Look at history, exactly what happened. Now we're worse off than we ever were. You can't, you can't stop people from getting the stuff. You want to stop the people from wanting to get the stuff. You don't change the abortion clinics. You change the people going into the abortion clinic. It's the responsibility of the owner to repent and get rid of the wickedness that's in their own life. It's not my responsibility to go destroy your altar of wickedness. That's your responsibility. And when you will take the responsibility to do that, God will bless you for it. And you'll grow mightily in the Lord. But it's not my job to go in there and say, hey, this is wicked in your life, and this is wicked in your life, and you need to destroy that altar. It's a false god. That's not my place. Now, I can preach to you the word of God, but it's not my place to come in there and say, hey, this is wicked, and to take that and run outside and to burn it or throw it down and to destroy it. That's not my place. That's a Christian's personal place. It goes back to what we were looking at last Wednesday night. It's self-judgment. We all should be doing self-judgment on each other, on ourselves, not each other, on ourselves. How am I living my Christian life? Is this, how, is this pleasing to God? And should I take this and throw it out of my life because it's not pleasing to God? Look at, uh, keep your hand here, but look at Acts chapter 19. Let's see if this, take place. this takes place. And people have used these verses in Acts chapter 19 to teach that we're, we're book burners. You know, you Christians are book burners. Well, yeah, we might be burning books, but we're burning our own books. We're not burning your books. So calm down. I'm not wanting to come down and burn your books or anything. But if I've got something in my, in my life that I personally own that, doesn't, that, that, that God's not pleased with, I have a personal right to take that and burn it. Amen. Throw it in the trash. If I think it's wicked and filthy. And it's my responsibility to do that. Look at Acts chapter 19. Um, look at verse 18. Acts chapter 19, verse 18. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. They're repenting. Look what happens in verse 19. Many of them also which used curious arts, we call it witchcraft, brought their books Horoscopes, witchcraft. Many which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. That's a lot of money. But the point was it's their books. It's their property they're burning. They're not, go, they're not coming to get my property and burning it because they think it's wicked. They say, I believe God thinks this is wicked. I'm going to burn this. And they went and they burned their own property. They were showing that they thought it was wicked and they're getting rid of it out of their life. What happened? Look at verse 20. So mightily, mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Amen. God started working mightily through the word of God. It's prevailing. So what Gideon's doing is what God expects you to do in your life is to take that stuff that's wicked, that doesn't belong to him, that doesn't show him any kind of glory, that's maybe in, in reality glorifying the devil or glorifying a false god, Amen. and he wants you to take it and destroy it. Amen. Now, going back to Judges chapter 6. Go back, let's go back to Judges chapter 6. You never see Jesus Christ burning down houses of prostitution. You never see Jesus Christ chaining himself up in front of houses of prostitution. And there was no doubt that there were houses of prostitution in those days. What does Jesus Christ do then, Brother Keegan? What you find our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ doing is he changes the prostitute. Amen. And if you change the prostitute, there won't be any houses of prostitution. We need to change people's lives. <coughs> Not destroy people's property. 
And that's a New Testament calling, and that's an Old Testament way of doing things. A lot of times people see stuff in the Bible and say, well, I'm going to follow what they were doing. Well, what Gideon's doing, it's his father's stuff. It's his house. And, the na- and, and I, I title the name of this message, The House Cleaning of Gideon. Amen. He needed to clean house. And there's some house cleaning you need to do. You say, well, uh, would Jesus Christ ever do anything that was pretty uh, radical? Yes, he did. He went into the temple, and he made a cord of whips, and he whipped people out of the temple, and he took their tables that they had all their money on, and he destroyed that property right there. But that was his father's house. That's his house. And he said, you'll not turn my father's house into a den of thieves. It's a house of prayer. That's his house to take care of. It was his responsibility. You didn't see him going into the, the, the temples of Diana and doing that. You didn't see Jesus Christ going into these temples of Baal and doing that. And they were there at Jesus Christ's time. But you didn't see Jesus Christ doing that because that wasn't his responsibility. His responsibility was his house, his father's house. And that's what God called Gideon to do. He says, I got you a calling, and this is what I want you to do. First and foremost, Gideon, this is what the first thing I want you to do. Immediately, let's take care of your house. Let's take care of your life. Let's take care of things that you're responsible for. And that's what Gideon is doing there when he's throwing down the altar of Baal that thy father hath. We have a responsibility to keep wickedness out of our homes and out of our churches. It's our responsibility to keep wickedness out of our homes and out of our churches. Whose responsibility is that? It's not the U.S. government's. (laughs) It's not... The, the Methodist preacher don't come down here and tell me what to do at this church. And if he did, I'd tell him to hit the road. You know, I've had a Southern Baptist area missionary come in here and try to tell me how to do things. You know what I told him? Hit the road. Amen. This is my house. This is our house. This is this church's house. And I, it's our responsibility to take care of this church. Amen. And there's things in this church that I go to other churches. I see them doing things. And I thought I never, ever would want to see that in my church. And we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't do that. But we, because I feel like we have responsibility to take care of our own selves. Amen. This is our responsibility. The Lord has given us as a community, as, as, as believers coming in and meeting in this place, it's our responsibility. If we see any kind of wickedness, we need to bring it to somebody's attention and say, hey, this stuff needs to be took out of here. Amen. That's wicked. It's glorifying the devil, it's glorifying the world. Uh, that certain music is glorifying the devil, it's not glorifying God. You know, we have a responsibility. I don't go into the bars and tell them what songs to play. I don't go into the honky-tonk and say, hey, y'all need to be playing more gospel music. And I don't expect anybody to come in here and tell me I need to be playing more honky-tonk music. (laughs) That's the point, right? Is that we have a responsibility to take, if we see wickedness in our own churches, in this own, and to kick it out. Somebody's dropped the ball. Because there's a lot of wickedness in a lot of the churches I go into. But, brothers and sisters, we have a responsibility to take care of our houses, Amen. our personal houses, and to clean this stuff up. First Peter, first, first Peter chapter 4, verse 17, this is what Peter says. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall, be the, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Hey, when God gets ready to judge, you know who he judges first? Me and you. Amen. You know, uh, when you get to studying about the judgments, and we're studying the judgments on Wednesday night, you know what you find out? The first three judgments are me and you. Amen. <laughs> Brothers and sisters. Judgment as far as a sinner, as far as a son, as far as a servant. And that's the judgment seat of Christ. Amen. He's going to judge us first. And then he's going to start looking at everybody else. Amen. We need to judge our house as leaders of our houses, as leaders of our community, as our churches, we need to judge what's going on here. We need to try to kick some of that out. It's our responsibility. It's only there because we allow it to be there. Are you the leader of your house? If you're leading your house, it's your job to kick that stuff out. Well, my my kids, they're not going to be too happy about that. Well, they'll get over it. They're not paying the bills. 
I told my son, I said, when you pay the water bill, when you pay the electricity bill, when you pay the rent, you, then you can tell me what you want to be done right. You know, then you have a little bit more say. But when you're not paying a stinking dime, then you need to not say a stinking thing to me. You know? He said, well, that's a bad attitude to have. That's an attitude from somebody who grew up with no money. Amen. They had to find his own way. No safety net. My mom was passed away. had no dad. And I had, to work, I had to work my way. I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm not trying to be prideful. But I had to work. And I was used to working, and I was used to paying my way. And when I'm used to taking my own wallet out and pulling out the dollar bills, when I say, have somebody come over here and tell me how to, how to spend my money, I don't like it. I'm not used to somebody telling me what to do. Because <laughs> I'm used to having money in my back pocket. It's very humbling for God to tell me what to do. It's had to humble me down. God's had to take a lot of pride out of me. Because when you grow up that way, you get to where you're prideful. And God's had to show me, it's because of me, boy. It's because of me that you have this. It's because of me that you're allowed to do this. It's because of me. It's because of me. And I had to humble my stuff, stuff down and get an, a good, Christian, Holy Spirit-filled life of saying, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. But the Lord does give me the responsibility to take stuff and let's clean it up. Amen. Let's clean this stuff up. And that's what Gideon's doing. He's cleaning it out. Judgment begins first at the house of God and then his people. Look at verse 26. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God. So it's not enough just to tear it down. You've got to replace it with something. If you're going to go to your kids, and I'm not saying I'm a good parent in any means whatsoever, but if you're going to go to your kids and say, hey, you don't be listening to that music. That's filthy. Well, give them something to replace it with. Amen. Say, listen to this. Hey, this, I think you'll like this. Listen to some of this. Or, instead of watching this movie... Let's watch this movie. You know, you've got to replace it. You can't just take away and leave that place empty. God says, hey, tear this down, and now let's go to build something up. Amen. Sometimes people don't realize how good some of this uh, Christian, Christianity can be. Amen. I was playing some good Christian music to, to a, a brother that was riding with me in a truck. He goes, man, this stuff is good. Yeah, and you're not going to hear none of it on the radio. But you don't know it's there unless somebody shows it to you. But you got to replace it. So once it's thrown down, you immediately build up something for God. Starting at your own house. Once you throw something down, once you throw it down, once you, once you burn those books or whatever you're taking care of, I'm just saying, it, not just in a physical sense, but you know, in, in a symbolic sense. Once you, get some, rid of some, once you get rid of something, once you throw it in the trash, you got to replace it with something. If you're going to say, I don't think God's pleased with me for watching this much TV. Or what I'm watching on TV. Let's be specific. I'm watching this certain show. It's filthy. It's got filthy language in it. I know God's not pleased with me. Well, find something else to watch at that time that isn't filthy, that is clean, that is wholesome. Or better yet, say, instead of spending that hour on that filthy, nasty show that doesn't preach or teach any kind of Christian principles, I'll take that hour and I'll study my Bible. Or I'll read a book that's on the Bible. Or I'll read a good nonfiction Christian novel. There's millions of choices you have, brothers and sisters. But the point is, is if you get rid of something, make sure to replace it Amen. with something that's even better that God would want you to do. The Bibles, see, all this stuff begins at home. And I've heard people complain about, well, in the schools, they won't let, they won't let them have Bibles in the schools. Uh, listen, the stuff... <coughs> The Bibles were, were ignored at home way before they started getting ignored at school. Prayer was not being sent up to God at home way before it was took out of school. Don't kid yourself. The reason why this stuff's going on at school, the school's to show what's going on behind the doors of a house. God's just showing you through the school systems and through society what's going on behind closed doors that nobody's talking about. That's what society shows. This stuff's been going on for years. It's just been behind closed doors. Now God's bringing it to light, saying, see how y'all really are? See how you really act? See how you really feel about me? Now there's some Christians that we feel that, God, there should be Bibles in schools. There should be prayer, but it's too late. So many people have, getting, have gotten rid of it, and they've let their house get destroyed. they let their house become an altar to Baal. And they didn't at that time make that. There was a decision. There was probably a crossroads in their family life where they could have took the right way to God and to live in a Christian life, or they could have took this left path, and they chose that left path, and they've never come back. Amen. But i got some good news you can. Starting today. 
If God's talking to your heart, speaking to your heart about something that you got going on in your life, just like Gideon, you know what he says right there? Immediately, that same night, God says, okay, Gideon, now this is what you're going to do. So you can leave these church doors, you can go right out to your car, you can drive home and whatever's in your house that you don't think is appropriate or you said you think God, God's been speaking your heart about it, trash it. <laughs> trash it. You'll feel a lot better about yourself and about God. So Brother Keegan, I, I don't know if I have the courage to do that. Well, ask the Lord to help you. Amen. Take it one step at a time. I'm going to tell you, get rid of everything. You got to do it. The point is, is that God called Gideon to take care of his father's house first. He said, let's clean this mess up. Verse 27. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. Oh, Gideon, man. I, I understand Gideon. He said, well, that's pretty severe. And uh, they see me doing this, they're going to come get me. So let's just, hey guys, why don't we just do this tonight when there's nobody around and nobody can see me. And uh, I know God's got me called to do this and I'm a mighty man of valor and all that. But uh, let's wait till tonight time where we can sneak around and do it, you know. And he feared, he feared his father's household, the Bible says. He feared his father's household. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man bringeth a snare. The fear of man bringeth a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. The Bible also says in 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Amen. That fear you have is not from God, it's from uh, the world. Amen. That fear you have for doing something for the Lord is you're afraid of what people are going to think, what people are going to say. And let me tell you something, guys. What you're going to find out in the very next verse, it don't matter how much you try to hide it, they're going to find out. <laughs> and they find out. Look at verse 28. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cast down that was by it, and the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. They noticed it right off the bat. And they said one to another, verse 29, Who hath done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, had done this thing. Oh, they know exactly who done it. So you're thinking you're going to do something for the Lord and be secretive about it. There are no secret disciples. Joseph of Arimathea was uh, basically a secret disciple of the Lord. He thought he was going to be secret about it, being a, being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. But when Jesus Christ was crucified, Joseph, with all boldness, says, I want the body of Jesus Christ. He had to come out publicly and ask for it. I like verse 28 because verse 28 reminds me of so much of this world we're living in today. And when he, and the men of the city arose early in the mo morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down. There's going to come a time where these wicked people are going to wake up in the morning and all that they love to worship is going to be gone. Amen. And I can't wait. <laughs> and I can't wait for that day. That all that they love to worship and glorify, they're going to wake up one morning and it's going to be gone. Amen. It's going to be long gone. How many movies, how many of these filthy, nasty TV shows and movies are going to be produced and, 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 and produced and written and filmed during the tribulation period? I can't think of many. There won't be much time to watch TV when you're, when you're dealing with the seven trumpets and the seven vials and the seven plagues and the seven... There's not going to be a lot of time. Praise God. There's going to come time they wake up in the morning and all they love is going to be cast down. Verse 29, And they said one to another, Who had done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, had done this thing. So if you try to do it by night, people are going to find out about it anyway. So you might as well just do it out in the open. Be bold about it. All right, let's keep on reading verse 30. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son that he may die, because he had cast down the altar of Baal, and because he had cut down the grove that was by it. Well, they're a little angry. They don't like that. They want to kill him over that. <laughs> and Gideon knew it. Gideon knew. That's why he did it by night. He said, man, when I do this, they're going to want to kill me. And that's exactly what they want. They don't want to just hurt him. They don't want to just make him come pay. Hey, hey, come back over here, boy, and build that back up. Pay for that to be rebuilt. No, we're going to kill you. Verse 31, and Joash said, that's Gideon's dad, unto all that stood against him, will you plead for Baal? Will you save him? Talking about Baal. 
He that will plead for him, let him be put to death while it is yet morning. If he be a god, let him plead for himself, because one hath cast down his altar. Amen. Hey, if Baal's some kind of god, let Baal take care of him. Amen. That's a good point. Hey, Allah, if you're such a good god, why don't you have to have your men and women blow people up for you? Amen. You're such a powerful, all-powerful god. My god don't need my help at all. He can take care of you by himself. My God could touch your heart and you'd fall over dead just like that. My God don't need me pick, taking a bomb and strapping it to myself and blowing you up in the name of Allah, 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 Allah. I don't need to do nothing. My God doesn't need me to do that. Amen. See, I'm afraid my God's going to do that to me. <laughs> I'm afraid my God is going to say, King, I'm about tired of you and push, push me over. Amen. That's how I know about God. I'm afraid of God that way because I know he's all powerful. But whenever he, when Joash questions him, he says, why are you pleading for him? Let Baal plead for himself. This brings about an incredible thing going on. Because according to verse 25, this is Joash's altar. So you'd think Joash would be mad. Right? This is, Joash, this is where Joash worships. The true worshipers of Baal, the ones that really well worship Baal and love Baal, they want to kill Gideon over this. Joash, who had, this is his altar. He doesn't care. It's his altar. It's his property. He says, no. Nah. It's, it's pretty amazing to think about it. So the only thing you can speculate about this, and one, thing, one speculation that comes up is, why would Joash have this altar if he really doesn't care about it? Well, number one, and we're about to, we're about to look at this, the problem is he doesn't care. He doesn't care one bit about spiritual things. It's like that dad that I, I knew kids growing up like this, that their parents didn't care where they were at, at what time of night, where they were doing, as long as they were out of their hair, they don't care. And that's how he is about spiritual things. He just doesn't care. And number two, maybe, and I'm going to give you some verses for this, maybe it was his wives. Maybe it was Joash's wife, Gideon's mom's. And he just let her do it. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 44. Turn to Jeremiah 44. This was going on in, the, in Israel. It became a real bad problem in Israel. That the women were taking over the church services. They were taking over the worship of gods. And it was becoming a snare. And this is not to talk necessarily bad about, of course, women. Or women being in church. Or women being in, worshiping God. What this speaks to is the men... The men just didn't care. They didn't take a leadership role. They just could care less about spiritual things. Look at verse 44. Jer I mean, Jeremiah chapter 44, excuse me, verse 15. Jeremiah 44, verse 15. God has pronounced judgment on Israel because of worshiping false gods. Here's what they say. Here's what the response of Israel was. Verse 15. Then all the men which knew which knew that their wives had burned incense unto other gods. Oh, they knew it all right. They just didn't care that they were doing it. You see where I'm going with this? If you're going to begin at your house, there's going to be some people, that might, some people in your house that are doing things that probably aren't right. You've got you to care about it. You've got to care about what's going on in your, in your, in your house, in your life. And all the women that stood by, a great multitude, even all the people that dwelt in the land of Egypt and Pathros, answered Jeremiah, saying, this is what they say to him, As for the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee. They basically said, we're not going to listen to what you have to say. Now guys, what you're going to find out when we finish reading these verses, this is the women speaking. The men aren't even, the men aren't even talking. This is the women saying this. Look at verse 17. But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth. We're going to do what we want to do, and we're going to do what we say we want to do, and we don't care what you have to say. To burn incense unto the queen of heaven, and to pour out drink offerings unto her, as we have done, we and our fathers, our kings and our princes, in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then had we plenty of victuals, and were well and saw no evil. See, that's how stupid people can be. God says, you know why you're in captivity? Do you know why your city's destroyed? Because you're worshiping the queen of heaven. Amen. And they say, well, well, we worship the queen of heaven. Nothing bad happened to us. 
And now look, we're not worshiping the Queen of Heaven and something bad's happened to us. You're not worshiping the Queen of Heaven because something bad happened to you, ding dong. Wake up, smell the coffee. You're not using your brain. God's making sure you're not going to worship the Queen of Heaven because He's destroyed everything you had to bake, bake cakes to the Queen of Heaven. You know how you had an altar to, 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 to worship the Queen of Heaven? God made sure to destroy that and run you off to Egypt so you couldn't do it anymore. Well, we, we were having a good time. Yeah, right up until God judged you for it. Amen. There's, there's pleasure in sin for a season. Amen. And that's where the people get it wrong. They start thinking, well, you know, when I was living out in the world, I was enjoying that. And I was enjoying this. Right up until, sin, right up until the judgment of God comes on you. Verse 18, but since we left off to burn incense to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her, we have wanted all things that have been consumed by the sword and by the famine. <laughs> the reason why you stopped doing that is because of the sword and the famine. That God just said, I'm the one that brought it and I judged you because you were burning that and doing that to the queen of heaven. And we, when we burned incense to the queen of heaven, verse 19, and poured out drink offerings unto her, did we make her cakes to worship her and pour out drink offerings unto her without our men? That's the women speaking. And what they're saying is, our men didn't have nothing to do with this. We were doing what we wanted to do. You know what that says? The men just didn't care about spiritual things. Amen. Not one bit. And they're like, oh, honey, whatever you want to do. Well, I'm going to go down here and worship at the, at the altar of Baal. Well, I thought we were going down to the temple of God, Jehovah. Oh, no, we're not worshiping him. We're worshiping Baal now. Okay, honey, whatever. Just leave me alone. The football game's coming on. Just don't interrupt my football game. I got things I want to do. I'm going down to church to worship. Okay, it's fine, whatever. The men just don't care. And God says there in verse 25, let's skip ahead to verse 25. He says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, Ye and your wives have both spoken with your mouths and fulfilled with your hands, saying, We will surely perform our vows that we have vowed to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her. Ye will surely accomplish your vows and surely perform your vows. God says, That's what you say you're going to do, and I guarantee you that's what you're going to do. Amen. And what's, what's going to happen when you do it? We'll look at verse 27. Behold, I will watch over them for evil, and not for good, and all the men of Judah that are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by the famine until there be an end of them. God says, okay, this is what you told me you're going to do. I'm going to make sure you're able to do it. And you know what's going to happen to you? I'm going to look at you for evil and not good. Amen. And this and this and this is going to happen to you. You're going to be consumed. The sword is going to get you famine. Here's the problem. It's not, the problem's not the women. And I, won't, I don't want you to take this as some kind of, I'm bashing women. What the problem is, is the men don't care. And I know enough about men and women being a grown man, raised by a grown woman. I was raised in a single-parent home, so if you don't, don't get on to me about, you don't care about women. I love my mother. I love, uh, I, I love uh, the, the woman has the place. But I know enough about men to know that when a man cares... When a man cares about something, he takes the lead. Amen. And the woman can't get in there. Amen. No matter how hard, sometimes no matter how hard she tries to get in there, he won't let her. Amen. Some of y'all men simply know that, some of you men and women simply know that by just the remote control of the TV. Man wants something, he likes that on TV, he says, give me that remote control. <laughs> Say, show me, show me that, brother. In society, it's real prevalent in sports. That's a new religion in America, and really all over the world, of sports. So when a man loves and cares about sports, which a lot of men do, you can't find a woman hardly anywhere near that. They might let them sit on the sidelines and give a report. That's about it. Because <laughs> they're going to be all the coaches. All the, and they had some poor woman get in there as a coach, and I thought, they're just trying to throw her a bone. They don't even care about her. They want and care about sports, so they're going to take, take the charge and be the leader. Because that's what God's raised them to be, is leaders. And when they care about something, they take the lead in it. And the reason why the churches are full of women is because men don't care anymore. Amen. And that's not, a, that's not speaking, not, you say, well, you're talking bad about women. No, I'm not. I'm telling you, that's just uh, talking about men. I, I'm, this message is, is aimed at the men. Wake up, take care of your house, take care of your churches. It's your responsibility. And stop letting the women do it. 
When I came to this church 14 odd years ago, there was a poor lady trying to run this church. You've never seen a bigger mess in your entire life. Amen. And God bless her for trying to do what's right, but it was a mess. Spiritually, it was a mess. Physically, it was a mess. Emotionally, this church was a wreck. And it's not her fault. That poor lady is just trying to do something that God did not call her to do. Because the men were cowards and weren't doing what they were supposed to do. Amen. Now I know that's a hard message and some, some women are going to take that wrong. Like, well, you're just against... No, I'm not against women doing anything. What I'm against is men not doing anything. Because if I can... It's like I just showed you. If, it's not about the women being leaders. I know enough to know if I can convince the men to do what they're supposed to do, there's no chance a woman's going to lead. No chance at all. Because <laughs> a man's going to want to take control. Because he cares. 1 Corinthians 11.3. Y'all don't turn there because y'all won't like these verses. Nobody likes these verses because they, they always say, I believe the Bible. Right up until it says this right here, 1 Corinthians 11.3. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. God put the man in leadership. Men should lead. Husbands should lead. The head of the house should lead. That's why it's so wicked that we have so many broken up uh, marriages, broken up families. God never intended it that way. He doesn't want it that way. He wants the man to be the leader. He wants the woman to be the nurser. They, she's got a place in the family just like the man's got a place in the family. But the devils came in and he's ruined all that. He's got men and women in this country believing that a family is two women and two men. That's how wicked this world's come to God never intended it, anything like that. No matter how much you act like a woman and no matter how much, you, how much you try to act like a man, you're still a man and you're still a woman. So if you're listening to me and I put some of this stuff on the radio and you're going to write me some other ugly letter like you've wrote me in the past, just keep on writing them. Because I'm going to keep on preaching them. And if you don't like the what I preach over the radio, here's something you can do. Get your own radio broadcasting. Broadcast what you want. But why waste your money? Because what you believe is broadcast 24 hours a day through this whole world. Every time I turn on the TV, what you believe is preached that way. This stuff right here stirs me up because this is what's destroyed our churches. It's destroyed our families. And guys, it's destroyed this country. Lack of leadership. Christian leadership. When men and women, a men should have stood up with the women and said, you know what? We're not going to have this in our house. Get it out. Amen. You know what would have happened? The stuff wouldn't be in the schools. It would have been gotten out. The reason why they're letting transgenders come down and read in the libraries to first graders is because there's transgenders at home talking to people's kids. People don't care. That somebody's a transgender. They don't care they're in the public schools. They don't care. That's why that stuff's going on. Nobody cares. But if the men cared, that nonsense would come to a stop. I promise you that. You know what I know about men? When, men, when a man wants something to happen, it happens. Amen, it does. I've seen it over and over again in my life. When men take control and take charge, it's amazing what a man can do. Amen. <laughs> This country that you love so much, that you fly that flag right there, that country, this country right here was, was founded by old men that love the Lord. Amen. Deists. Christians. They were Christian deists. They believed in God and they believed in Jesus Christ and they believed in the Bible. That's who formed this great country you're trying to destroy. Men gathered together. Man, when you get some men that love the Lord, there's no telling what they can do. What did those men do? Just, by, just created the greatest nation the world's ever known. Amen. Why, is this world being, why is this country falling down? Why is it falling apart? Because there's no men running it anymore. Yeah. Letting everybody else run it. They're too busy making money. Amen. We only have one man who made all the money he could live with and said, you know what, I'm tired of the way this country is. And he decided to try to run for president. And they all hate him. And before you start writing me about that, I didn't vote for the man. Amen. I didn't put him in office. I'm just telling you what I'm observing about society. We need men who care and who will take the lead. Amen. 
Look at Matthew. Uh, look at Luke chapter 18. If you're, if you're following me in the Bible, look at Luke chapter 18. I know I'm going on about this stuff, but I think, I think it's important. I think it's important because I'm seeing it in my Bible. There's a feminine spirit running through the churches today, and it's awful. It's a blessing to me that there's some of you men up here, your wives are at home and you're up here. You know how many churches, there's not a lot of churches like that. They're usually the woman stay, goes to church and the man stays home. Up here a lot of times it's the men that are able to come to church and their women stay home. Praise the Lord for that. And their, their women might be sick, there's something going on in the life, whatever, but it's important for the man to try to make it up here. That's a blessing. That shows you that you care about spiritual things. You care about the church. You care about the way God's doing things. You want to do things the way God wants them done. We need, to stand, we need men who will stand up for the Lord and to lead. You might say, well, my wife's going to lead me. If I do what you're saying, Pastor, if you knew my wife, oh, she's, she's a barracuda, brother. If you knew my wife, she's going to lead me. I'll be honest with you, she might. Especially in the society we live in, she might just leave you. Mine did. My ex-wife left me. I can't promise you that she's going to stay with you when you start serving the Lord and doing what's right. I can't promise that. God doesn't promise that. Look at Luke 18, verse 30. Verse 29. Look at verse 29. Luke chapter 18, verse 29. This is Jesus. He said unto them, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or parents, or brethren, or wife, or children, for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manyfold more in this present time, and in the world to come, life everlasting. I will tell you this, if you do what's right by the Lord and you're doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ and your wife gets mad at you and she leaves you, it'll be a blessing. Amen. I don't believe in divorce. I don't want you to get a divorce. I, I try to fight every way anytime somebody comes and talks to me counsel, and I counsel them, I always counsel against divorce. But if your wife ends up leaving you, mister, because you're trying to do what the Lord wants you to do, it'll be a blessing to you. How do you believe that, Pastor? Because I just read it to you. Do you believe God's word? Jesus Christ said, not just in heaven. Look, verse 30. Who shall not receive manifold more in this present time. You know what happened to me when my wife left me? God gave me tons of women in this church that loved all over me and said, hey, I'll take care of you if you need something to cook. I'll do your, I'll do your laundry. I'll cook your meals. I mean, it was amazing. When, when I lost my mom, I had uh, all these mothers that took care of me. Amen. God, I lost my dad. God's given me all these dads to take care of me Amen. <laughs> in the church. It's amazing. I'm so blessed right now. I can't, can, I can't tell you enough how blessed I am. Amen. And at the time when my wife said, no, I didn't marry a preacher, I thought I, well, I was one of the most miserable men you had ever talked to. I was miserable. God put that calling on my life, and I told her, I said, I think God's calling me to preach. And she said, I didn't marry a preacher. And she meant it. And it worked for a little while, and then she left. But you know what I know, and I'll tell you what you might not realize yet is, God didn't call her, God called me. Amen. And I kept on going when I wanted to quit. And thank the Lord for brothers and sisters in Christ that kept encouraging me and said, don't quit. The Lord can use you. Don't quit. Amen. So I kept on going for the Lord, and the Lord's been fruitful through me, and I, I, I appreciate the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank Him so much. But what I realized through all of this, and I look back on it, is I need a Savior more than I need a wife. Amen. I need a Savior more than I need a wife. Amen. I need Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life more than I need a wife. And when I got to that point in my life where I could say that in a minute, the Lord brought me a wonderful wife that would marry me, even though I'd been married and divorced, and would stick with me through thick and thin, 
And here we go. <laughs> here we go, like Gideon. I'm in the middle of the thick of all of this, and it's just the greatest time of my life. But I'm telling you, there's some men, including me too, that we need to take better responsibility of what's going on in our houses, in our church. We just need to care, brothers and sisters. We just need to care. And I want to close in Judges, because I want to make sure to read these last verses and close them. But in Judges chapter 6, after he does all this, he sticks up for him and he, he says, Hey, why don't you let Baal plead for him? Look at verse 32 in closing. Therefore, on that day, he called him, that would be Joash called Gideon. Gideon was called Jeroboam, which means Baal strives, saying, Let Baal plead against him because he had thrown down his altar. Amen. So in closing, I want to say, you'll get called by the Lord, and you're going to do some crazy things for the Lord, and you're going to be called names. Just like Gideon got called. Jeroboam. Gideon, don't want, Gideon doesn't want the name of Jeroboam. That's associated with a false god, but they called him that. And you're going to get called names. You're going to get called a holy roller. You're going to get called a Bible thumper. You're going to get called a homophobic. You're going to get called a hate monger. And I'm guaranteeing you, I'm guaranteeing you there's somebody this morning that's calling me a misogynist. A misogynist. Some of y'all never heard that, maybe. I didn't know what that meant until somebody called me that. <laughs> what does that mean, Google it up? Misogynist. I don't like that miss in there. What do I, call me some woman. Or miss, miss something. Miss, no, I'm a mister, mister, mister Johnist. No, as a misogynist, you, you hate women, you know. This is the furthest from the truth it could be. Get ready, you're going to get called names. And I've been called a fool, I've been called a donkey, but not a donkey, but you get what I'm called. I've been called a jack. I've been called all kinds of different names, but uh, I don't care. <laughs> I got the Lord Jesus Christ on my side, and when it's you and God, you're the majority and you're in the right. When it's you and God. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you for your calling on men and women's life, Lord God. And Father, I want to thank you for the men, Lord God. I know, I know so many men, Lord, that serve you that care about you, that care about spiritual things, Lord God. I want to thank you for them, Lord. And I want to thank you for putting men like that in my life, that I can look at them and look up to them, Lord God, and say, hey, I want to be just like that man right there. I want to, be, I want to care about my wife. I want to care about my family. I want to care about my church. I want to care about my nation. And Lord, I want to thank you for men, Lord, that have the guts to, to lead their family in a way that's, not, that's totally against the world, Lord God, that totally gets them ridiculed and mocked. And Father, I want to thank you, Father, uh, for these wives that are willing to follow the men, Lord God, and to rec recognize, Father, that you set the man up as a leader, Lord. I want to thank you for these women, and I want to pray a special blessing on them, Lord God. And Father, I want to pray a special blessing on any child, teenager, young child, Lord God, that's living under a dad that's trying to worship you, that's trying to follow your example, Lord. I Father, I pray a special blessing on that child, Lord God, that they might see the truth, Lord God, of how wonderful a dad you've given them, Lord God, that they are willing to try to take care of them and shelter them. And Lord, I pray, Father, that this child, this teenager, Lord God, that maybe they're angry at their mom or dad because of what they're doing, Lord God. When they grow older, Lord, that their eyes will be open. They'll look back and say, you know, they just love me. And they were just trying to take care of me. But Father, if there's somebody beneath the sound of my voice that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would uh, speak to the heart the truth, Lord God, and when we give this invitation, they'll come on down and get saved. Thank you again, Lord, for loving us. Take care of us, Lord. Please give us some healing in the church, Lord God, with all our members that are gone this morning, Lord God. I pray wherever they're at, Lord, bless them and heal them up. In Jesus Christ, holy name I pray. Amen. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the Internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3 verse 16. And most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13 he sums it up. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him